welcome to another episode of Nerd Alert. I'm Kaylee Fretz here with James Wong and Dave Rome. This episode is going to feel a little bit different. We're going to take a deep dive into a single subject. Gravity. Take it away, James. Now, weight is one of the few things in cycling that all of us can easily measure and compare, and there are a lot of cyclists that are totally obsessed with shaving grams. Admittedly, myself and you included, Dave, at least in our past. So when it comes to overcoming gravity, how much does weight actually matter? And at what point is it more important to focus on other things aside from making you and your bike lighter? Is all that effort justified, Dave, or is our focus on the number on the scale a big waste of time and money? These are the questions we aim to answer. We've got insight from a bike engineer who obsesses about weight and aerodynamics on a daily basis. Jeez, I might as well be pulling a trailer. (laughs) We've got insight from someone who spends their life tackling KOMs on Strava. (laughs) You've come to the right place for nerds. Yeah. And we've got someone who spends their days working as a mechanic where weight absolutely does matter. Single strength is alleged to be full, so I'll do my best. So Dave, before we get into all that, I actually want to revisit the forces that are working against you when you ride a bike. And thankfully for us, there's a commonly used and validated mathematical model for how your power is distributed when cycling. Now there's aerodynamic resistance, which we've talked about in depth in the first Nerd Alert podcast, Uh, rolling resistance, which we've talked about before also, but we're going to get into that even deeper in a future Nerd Alert podcast. And then you have changes in potential energy, kinetic energy, and mechanical friction. Now, of those, potential energy, kinetic energy, and rolling resistance are the ones most directly related to weight, with arguably the first two being the most relevant. Now, potential energy, also commonly referred to as climbing power, basically refers to how much effort is required to raise the mass of you and your bike up above the ground. So just as you're going up a hill, it takes energy to do that. Now, meanwhile, kinetic energy refers to the energy required to accelerate, basically just making changes in your speed. Now, the climbing power term is pretty simple. At a constant power output, speed decreases as the gradient increases. Duh, I think we all know that. Now, as a result, there are two ways to go faster. Produce more power or reduce your weight. Now, all else being equal, lighter is always better. However, as discussed in the first episode, aerodynamic drag is the single biggest area to further your speed. And with as much as 70 to 80% of your effort working to overcome that, However, reducing aerodynamic drag often comes at the expense of weight. Aero bikes are heavier. Now, because of this, we also want to learn more about where the limits of aerodynamic benefit tip over and at what point weight becomes a better investment. And for that, that's exactly why I reached out to Nathan Barry, who is the lead aerodynamic designer for Cannondale. So Nathan is one of the key brains behind the white paper from the Cannondale System 6 launch, where... The whole white paper focuses on the tipping point of where an aero bike becomes faster than a lightweight bike, even on the hills. Also, Nathan spends his days working with the EF Pro Cycling team, where he works with them on computer modeling to work out which bike they should ride and when. So he's really a perfect mind to pick regarding the whole chat of watts and weight. So that white paper focused on those six resistive terms that you just discussed. And one of the key things that it pointed out is that weight actually doesn't matter that much when it comes to overall speed. And the one thing that it showed is that at a 6% gradient climb, riding at 4 watts per kilogram, you were actually faster on an aero bike that was a whole 1 kilogram heavier than a lightweight focus bike. And that's assuming the lightweight focus bike had the same aero wheels and the same cockpit. 
That white paper goes as far to suggest that even at 10% gradients, the one kilogram lighter bike will save you less than three watts. And that's compared to the 29 watts of saving that an aero bike offers on flat roads. Let's hear Nathan explain why this is. Saving a lot of aerodynamics at the expense of, in this case, one kilogram of mass is kind of a no-brainer because you spend almost all of your time riding less than 6%, which means you get all of the advantage and then very little time uh, sort of above, above that 6% point. It really comes down to the where that mass is in the system because as you go up a hill, you're not just pulling your bike up a hill, you're pulling yourself and your bike. So if you take uh, me, for example, I weigh about 77 kilos. Uh, so we'll just call it 80 and my bike might weigh about eight kilos. So mm -hmm. I'm sort of 10 times heavier than my bike. If I went from an eight kilo bike to a seven kilo bike, I've reduced it by a kilogram. We're talking, you know, like more than 10% reduction in weight. That's mm. really big. And that's something that you would feel if you go and pick up somebody's bike and there's a one kilo difference, you can pretty easily feel that. But when you take the system in context, you now have that one kilogram reduction of the bike plus you, plus your water bottles, plus your, you know, clothing and whatever else you're talking about you know, more like 1% difference in mass of the whole system. So, you know, saving one kilogram on a bike is huge. It would take, you know, a massive amount of money and or research to sort of be able to achieve that. But saving mm. one kilogram off the whole system only reduces 1%, which is not quite as significant. If you put that against the differences that we're talking about for aerodynamics, in the case of a bike like System 6, uh, compared to sort of your classic round tube climbing bike, you're reducing drag of the whole system with the rider on board of something like 10%. And that's really why bikes like that, uh, that are aerodynamically optimized, have such a performance advantage when it comes to, especially racing scenarios and high speed. And it's mm. why that tipping point is so much higher than most people uh, sort of anticipate it should be. So clearly Nathan is on board with the whole idea that aerodynamics matter more than weight. But we hear time and time again that where the weight sits actually does make a difference. People always talk about rotating weight, and that's something that I pose to Nathan. Does rotating weight matter more? So, you know, you know the difference between a very deep, you know, like 65 millimeter deep um, racing wheel set might be around mm -hmm. the 1600, 1650 gram mark. 1350 would be considered quite a light wheel set. So it's only like 300 grams. In cycling, often our accelerations are not huge. And again, your system your system mass is the main thing that you're having to accelerate. The change in the wheels is really small. So okay. off the top of my head, something like 300 gram difference in a rim wheel set is probably like half a watt to do a fairly, uh, you know, like race style acceleration, not a gentle acceleration, but actually right. race style acceleration. When you talk about accelerations in that context as well, for wheels, you also have an aerodynamic component if you're going between, say, a, like a 30 millimeter deep wheel and a 60 millimeter deep wheel. As you accelerate, you go from low speed to high speed. And so very quickly, you also kick in this aerodynamic advantage because you're now going faster. And the same thing happens with a bike. You know, the first part of your acceleration phase, you might be quite slow, where the weight 
might help you a little bit and then you sort of start to gain more and more velocity and then you're mm. actually saving because you're on a more aerodynamic piece of equipment as well the the sort of the differences between wheel set mass tend to be quite minimal and approaching on negligible in terms of what it does for you in you know the grander scheme of riding performance one thing to think about with weight is lighter weight is always better all things being equal this is kind of the thing that comes up in the the aerodynamic conversation is like yeah if you can have a lighter weight bike that's that's going to be better as long as you keep all the other parameters the same in this case you know talking about aerodynamics and wheels and those kinds of things once you have to take this equation collectively you then have to think about all these other elements and how they play together the thing mm. with cycling is that we are almost always working with a trade-off often because especially when it comes to say a bike frame the structural component of the bicycle is also its external skin which is pretty unique for vehicles like if you take a car you can kind of make the outside of a car not any shape you want but you have a lot of flexibility over it because the internal structure is doing the structural job and the external structure is doing the aesthetic slash aerodynamic job whereas on a bike we're combining those two roles together and so you know if you want to have an aerodynamic profile that's using a deep cord airfoil section there's physically a lot more tube there and if you just keep adding area to something it's impossible to do that and maintain the same weight that you had with say a very small round tube that you had previously. Okay, so at this point, it seems more than safe to say that Nathan is a numbers guy. And one of the things he mentioned to us when the recorder wasn't rolling was that based on his numbers, basically four watts per kilo and a 20k per hour average speed, his tipping point's about a 6% gradient and he would go with an aero bike every time. If you climb faster, aerodynamics remains important until a higher gradient. So when you take sort of professional riders going up hills at five to six watts per kilo, that tipping point pushes even higher. The, the exception I will say is when I work with the riders at EF, we advise them to choose their equipment based on the most important part of the race. So for somebody that is racing, um, say a, a grand tour contender in a very hilly stage where there's a long uphill finish. Now, if you take a given stage profile and just do a calculation based on the most efficient way to get from start to finish, it will always be the most aerodynamic bike. But in you know a grand tour, that rider kind of sits in a peloton all day. They have people to go and pick up bottles for them. But you know the last 15 kilometers uphill is the part where they can't, lose, can't afford to lose a single second. So that's where okay. we might be like, all right, well, today you are gonna ride your Evo or your, your lightweight climbing bike. I'm still recommending for all of those guys, you know, the integrated cockpits and deep wheels, because at the moment on their Evos, they can hit 6.8 kilos with all of that equipment on board. So this whole one kilogram difference between an aero bike and a lightweight bike really does assume that the UCI 6.8 kilo weight limit was in place. And I wanted to know, what about the weight weenies, the guys that get their bikes down to 5 kilos or 5.5 kilos? Surely the difference there then becomes much more measurable, and it's something I posed to Nathan. Um, it does change the nature of that balance. Um, one of the things at the moment, at least to factor in, is if I'm sort of... Uh, 
the numbers I sort of presented before for our Super 6 Evo and System 6, that one kilo and that given aerodynamic difference is assuming that the Evo has the same deep wheel set on it. Okay. If you're talking about getting a bike from 6.8 to 6, yeah. so you're going into things like very low profile wheels, which add a lot of drag, you know, definitely round cockpits, round seat posts, all of those kind of things, which add drag. So you're not just sort of going from 6.8 to 6, just losing weight, but keeping the aerodynamics, you actually give up aerodynamics as well. And so potentially all you're doing is just shifting the balance between aerodynamics and weight where the tipping point stays in the same place, more or less, but you might get more advantage on very steep sections on the light bike and have yep. to give up even more performance on the fast sections. This was something that came up with uh, the pro team when I was talking to them was about how much weight costs you going uphill. If you consider the same bike, same aerodynamics, and you add one kilogram of mass, how much do you think that would cost you going up a steep hill in terms of power? Ooh, one kilo. Uh, I'm going to say... I'll go at the higher end because I'm a weight weenie. I'm going to say five watts. Yeah, it's it's probably about three. I think okay. uh, I'd have to look at like how all the num like depends on my model parameters. But I think at ten percent gradient for a pro, it was something like three watts. Okay, all right. So it's still you know we're still talking about something that that does matter when we're looking at marginal gains, but it's... If you're a racer, and that's why, you know, I was talking about we tell our racers on steep hills, you should ride the lightweight bike. Mm. But uh, when I talk to pros, their understanding was, you know, that they're worried about 50 grams, let alone mm. a kilogram. And when you say a kilogram is three watts, you know, <laughs> it's, it's kind of... For how much people complain about one kilogram of extra mass on their bike, three mm. watts is pretty minimal. If you take that in the context of, say, somebody doing a Grand Fondo or just riding with their friends, getting three watts is probably not going to make up that time for you. I think I did a model uh, for Alp Duez at one point, and it was just a, just a very rough simulation on Alp Duez and riding System 6 versus Evo up there for somebody like Rigo Uran. Uh, was something like 10 to 20 seconds, or maybe it was 10 seconds for him and like 20 seconds for somebody like me at like my power output. In the context of a Grand Tour, pretty big. In the context of somebody just riding Gruppetto and tempoing up climbs, probably not a big deal. All right, so let's just recap that. So basically what Nathan is saying is that weight matters more if your power to weight ratio is lower. So in other words, it's a big deal for riders like me who puts out like half a watt per kilo. But for a rider like Rigoberto Uran, who's really light and puts out a lot of power, dropping weight actually has less of an impact on his finishing time than it would for me. Now, according to Nathan, if Uran were to scarf down a bunch of cheeseburgers and put on another kilo, he'd still only be giving up about 10 seconds over a long but only semi-steep climb like Altuez. Or alternatively, he would only have to put out an extra three and a half watts or so to maintain the same speed as if he were a kilo lighter. Now, granted, those are margins that can still win or lose a race, but it's still a much smaller impact than most people would have assumed. Yeah, that's right. And rarely are we stressing about one kilogram when we're talking about bike weight. We're normally focusing on 50 grams, 100 grams, maybe even 300 grams. But it's not the one kilogram that Nathan keeps referring to. As a weight weenie, these seem like really insignificant numbers, and it's actually quite surprising. As Nathan explained, our focus on weight isn't really based on science, but rather because it's one of the few things that we can actually measure. 
the industry has been obsessed with weight for a hundred years, basically. Yeah. So in the last, I guess, 10 years, things have evolved a lot, but the, the cycling community has been conditioned to think about weight and only weight for basically all cyclists' lifetimes. The other side of things, obviously, is that you can't measure aerodynamics in the same way. If, yeah. you, if I walk into a bike shop, I can pick up two bikes and be like, oh, this one's really light. And the shop guy can be like, pick this bike up. It doesn't weigh very much. Yeah. Or even provide you a scale to compare with. Exactly. Nobody yeah. can be like, here's our wind tunnel. Go ride this bike and this bike and you can see the difference. If you if you don't grasp aerodynamics in general and you're in the weight weenie camp and we say our new bikes for a racer is 50 watts faster than the old one. When I said that to the guys in EF, the DS has put their hand up and they're like, sorry, did you, can you say that again? Did you say 14? I think it was, I think I was talking about 45 K an hour and it's like 45 Watts. They're like, did you say 14 Watts? I'm like, no, over 40 Watts. And they're all just kind of sitting in their chairs being like, how are we supposed to like compete or like pull turns when, you know, quick stepper on Avenge or, um, you know, Mm. Sunweb is riding a Cervelo or, you know, Trek or whatever like this, and you're riding next side by side. If you know these numbers, it drives you insane. Okay, so all else being equal, lighter is still better, but that really only matters in certain circumstances. If weight really mattered as much as many amateurs think, then we'd certainly see more obsessive efforts to make pro riders' bikes lighter. But the reality is that outside of the biggest climbing stages and Grand Tours, Pro bikes still are rarely right on the UCI 6.8 kilo weight limit. I mean, usually they're more like 7.2, 7.3, 7.4. Very, very, very rarely are they right, right on limit. Yeah, talking of pros, uh, Team Ineos' choice to run lightweights at this year's tour was quite an odd sight. Uh, Wasn't really expecting that. And they probably were saving about 300 grams over their sponsor correct Shimano wheels. Uh, but it was an interesting choice nonetheless, uh, especially when we're hearing these numbers that don't really point in the direction of lighter always being the faster choice. For the team that coined the term marginal gains, even half a watt savings over an hour of a climb is probably enough of them to piss off a sponsor. But for those more human in their ways, that half a watt isn't really going to make or break your ride. On that note, I reached out to Phil Gaiman, former pro rider now climbing extraordinaire. I wanted to learn about how much weight impacts his decisions when he's tackling those Strava KOMs around the world and whether or not it's something he truly focuses on. Funnily enough, as it turns out, he's convinced lighter is better, but not to the extent that you might think. All right, so yeah, I guess uh, starting off, like as a former World Tour pro, like you, you obviously were always restricted by the UCI 6.8 kilo weight limit. When you were racing, uh, how much did that weight limit play into your mindset? Were you were you worried about having a bike on that limit, or you just rode what you're given? You know, yeah. When you're a pro, like it's it's sort of blissful. You don't have any say in what gear you have for the most part, so you kind of just turn your brain off to it because um, you you have to ride what they make you ride. So it's not like other than some teams would let you pick your own shoes or pedals, something like that. But for the most for the most part, you're just at their mercy. Um, so I would ride what I was given and not give it any thought. Um, so then, yeah, when, when I retired and I got to choose my own stuff, that was a whole new world. Um, going back to kind of the amateur days of like, oh, I need to think about this <laughs> or I can, I can play around. 
And and what was your experience with the guys you're racing against? Were, were there anyone in the, was there anyone in the peloton that was uh, known to be a little obsessive about what their bike weighed, or is it just was it pretty familiar to see everyone just ride exactly what their sponsors required them to ride? Um, yeah, I think I mean pretty much you know you're, you're breaching contract and you get fired if you have the wrong thing. So it, as far as like the world tour guys, nobody nobody messed around with it. Um, we are the the weight obsessions would be on our bodies more than our bicycles. Um, and pretty much everyone had the same uh, the same bike in, in that in that respect. Okay, so fast forward, uh, you retire and you start chasing some uh, Strava KOMs around the world, uh, and your mindset obviously changed towards weight. Um, you've had some pretty lightweight bikes since then. Uh, do you find it actually makes a difference when the when the clock is running? I mean, yeah, it's 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 two pounds I can put on my butt. <laughs> you know what I mean? If I wanna if I wanna come even. Um, no, for sure. You, you notice, I think you like the bike, obviously when it's lighter, it feels snappier. Um, the acceleration is, is pretty noticeable. Like it's, it's noticeable all the time, but, but when you're, you know, when you're sprinting up a hill, um, it's, it's more so. So I, I, I'll do the group ride here in LA or something. And I kind of have my, my disc brake bike that's built up with it's, you know, heavier parts. I'm not looking for weight. That's just kind of my, my, my day to day. Um, and then once in a while, if, if that bike has a flat tire or something, I'm, I'm running late, I'll jump on my other bike. Cause that's kind of just affected my spare bike is my, my climbing bike. Um, and, and when I show up on the group ride with that, it's a couple pounds, but I don't feel like it's fair. It's, it, it's that it's a small difference, but like, I just know from having done the group ride a hundred times on one bike and 10 times on the other, um, I'm, I'm a dick if I show up on the light bike, <laughs> um, you know, on, on the hilly group ride with my, with my buddies. Right. How much of that is psychological or um, do you actually have, uh, you know, Strava telling you it is in fact quicker? I mean, it's like, I can, I can feel it. So I guess there's a psychology element to it, but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's real. It's definitely real. Like when I, when I go for the, the, when I go for KOMs on video and I've got like all my, you know, my tubular Mavic wheels and all the, all the super geeky stuff. um, It's, it, it adds up and, uh, and it, it feels real fast when you, when you show up with all the right stuff. Yeah right. And what what's that bike weigh? The the thing is like when when it comes to the 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 bike brand like the the frames are all kind of the same weight like all the frames are kind of in the eight hundred nine hundred gram range for the high end frames and where you get real geeky is in the crazy parts. That's where you can actually shave the weight and make a difference. Yeah. So I guess are there any parts on the bike that you feel make more of a difference to how the bike feels, or or do you feel like weight is weight? Like it doesn't matter. You know, a twelve pound bike is twelve pound bike, or does it matter if it you know that weight is in the wheels or somewhere else? I I I think about weight in. It's it's so I'm not going for like I'm not trying to have a win the contest of the lightest bike. I'm trying to go the fastest up a thing. Um, so I, I find that I I don't like shallow wheels for that so much. Like unless it's a super steep climb, um, unless it's like eight percent plus average. Like most climbs have downhill sections or have flat sections or like if it's if it's under seven percent, like I'm in the big ring. Like I'm kind of moving on a lot of these efforts. Like aerodynamics are definitely a factor, even if you're just going uphill. And then you think the same thing with the front end and and stuff like like all the aero factors count. Um, I'd like an aero frame, not quite. I think for the for most climbs, that that doesn't seem to be exactly the right the right move. Um, but uh, but the the bar and the stem and and like, you know, I have like an aero helmet as well. Like not the full TT helmet, but kind of the the aero style versus the light style. Um, I think I definitely I wear a speed suit in in all of my all my videos. 
because um, I like I know that counts. You can feel that for sure. Right. And and how much how steep would a climb need to get before you think the arrow no longer plays a factor? I think it's seven percent. That's kind of that's kind of the number where yeah. But but even then, like I'm gonna, it doesn't hurt to to be arrow. And then I guess you're you're mentioning some of the lightweight parts. Uh, what's what are some of your favorite weight saving tricks? The um. I mean, it's it's just all those stupid little things. You get the you get the headset cap, you you cut off like the the best the the lightest. You can get a light part, but if you can remove that part, <laughs> that's even better. So you can get like, sure, you can have a you know you can get a real light front derailleur, or you can get one by. You don't need a front derailleur, and that's that's a whole you know another notch. That's how you that's that's another way to get better. For a lot of my stuff, the the first year I was doing, I got lazy. I used to take the brake caliper off. Um, cause I don't need that. I'm getting a ride down most of the time. Um, so for like an event like the Mount Washington hill climb, that's sort of like the original for, for the U S I mean, the UK has their own hill climbs. Mount Washington was sort of the first place I was introduced to that. Um, which I'm sure the setups there would, would be, you know, yawned at by someone, uh, in the UK series. But, um, but the, uh, the, the bikes there, they're, you know, they're drilling holes in the brake levers and, and all that kind of fun stuff. Like that's, that's just, that's kind of a blast. I drilled holes in a bottle cage, um, just cause like it was already like a 40 gram bottle cage and I just drilled some holes in it. I weighed it before and after, and it was the same on the little, the little park tool scale, you know, the gram. Yeah. It, it was, it was like no difference, which was, yeah, you got to go to another really. decimal point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I know there's less material there. You're wrong. You can't say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's bad when you're having to get a new set of scales just to prove that you're saving weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this isn't precise enough. Clearly, it's not my fault. I'm not wasting my time. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess on that, like, what what weight saving tactics would you say are dumb for, say, someone that actually needs to ride their bike everywhere and in a group ride? What would you recommend they don't do? I I think I think a lot of people get uh, get flexi wheels. I don't like even know which brands to name, but I think I'll see a lot of wheels out there that I I just like. I don't know what's going, on, but I feel like when you stand up, that wheel goes side to side more than it goes forward. Um, and like the wheels being such a critical part and being so effective aerodynamically, um, I, I don't, I don't want like a super shallow, super light wheel. So you mentioned like some of your, your gear, like your, your helmet and your skin suit and all that. How much of that are you putting on the scales? Um, none. (laughs) I don't think I weigh the, uh, I don't, yeah, I haven't, I never weighed my speed suit. Um, you can kind of tell it's light because the whole, the, the, everything that you're wearing fits into the ball of your hand. <laughs> right. Um, okay. I don't really need to weigh that. But, uh, and then you just know, like with, with the helmet, I kind of just know intellectually, like I don't need that much ventilation. Um, and the, the aerodynamic thing is like, I don't, I'm not a head sweater. So, so I just, I know that like the aero helmet was always, like even when I was racing, but I think by my last year I was, that was kind of my default, um, was the aero helmet. Like when, when, when you race, you could tell. A lot of times, like when they started doing the San Remo suits, I feel like that was around like 2013 when all the teams started using those because it was so significant, like clothing, you know, bibs and jersey versus the one piece suit with the two, three pockets in the back. Um, like I think the first time I raced with that, I was like, oh, I'm never racing in a jersey and bibs again. This It's just, it's so much faster to have the one piece suit. So if you're a rider like at Phil's level, then clearly weight does matter and he can indeed feel it. But it's interesting to hear him mention aerodynamics so frequently. The aero wheels, aero helmet, speed suit, and all from a guy who specifically targets climbs where weight actually makes 
a measurable difference. However, Phil is super strong on climbs, so strong that he can worry about drag impacted by speed. That drag plays a lesser role when your speed drops, something that is inevitably going to happen when you leave the tarmac. Mountain bikers, gravel riders, cyclocross racers, none of them really hit the same speeds as road racers. And so, does that mean weight matters more to them? From what we're hearing, basically yes and no. I mean, aerodynamics absolutely still matter, and even mountain bike racers understand this, and as we're seeing, you know, kind of more stuff like tighter fitting clothing and aero helmets, I mean, all in the name of going faster. Um, but if anything, weight is actually more important in something like cross country where average speeds are lower, the gradients are steeper, and there's more start and stop riding, uh, and so there's more effort involved in just moving the bike around in general. Yeah, I agree. Weight absolutely matters more here. And few riders know it better than cross country world champion Kate Courtney. Kate is one of the smaller riders in the field, and for that, I reached out to her mechanic, Brad Copeland. I wanted to know how much does the team obsess about weight? We have two things to consider when we're setting a bike up for a race, you know, in particular a mountain bike race. The bikes have to, you know, have to last an hour and a half basically um, because when things are, sometimes when things are too light, when you make compromises or sacrifices and, for example, tire selection, um, obviously you can make a lot of gains when you save a lot of weight rotating mass from the wheels and tires, but if they don't last the full race, then all those gains are kind of for no reason. So. Um, we kind of walk a, a little bit of a middle ground in some of the parts that we choose. Um, we obviously want to be as light as we can safely, uh, but we, we tend to be a little conservative um, in things like tires, things that can be the end of a race if they don't, uh, if they don't hold up for the whole, the whole hour and a half or hour 45 that we typically race for in a cross-country race. Yeah. Okay. And this year you're working with uh, Kate Courtney, the elite women's world champion, and you have done so for a few years now. Uh is she and I guess the rest of the team uh, doing testing around what equipment is fastest? Yeah, we do. The team uh, itself, which is the Scott SRAM mountain bike racing team, um, which we've joined this year, uh, they have a lot of good resources within Swiss cycling. Obviously, mountain biking is uh, Swiss mountain biking is kind of the preeminent, uh, you know, the, the country with the most uh, mountain bike legacy. I would say by far Switzerland, and so they're. Federation does a lot of testing, independent testing for things like rolling resistance, um, also friction tests and things like that. Um, and some of the interesting stuff that we've been learning a lot lately uh, is concerning rolling resistance and tire pressures, tire widths, uh, the compounds used in the tires, as well as uh, some, you know, for example, sometimes we'll race with inserts like the foam noodles and basically pinch flat uh, protection devices that we've have the option to use or not depending on the course um, that's another weight versus durability conversation we often have um, but yeah so those are the things that we've you know it's sometimes harder to just feel in your hand for example weight is pretty easy to perceive a difference but uh, rolling resistance sometimes is counterintuitive when you see wide tires and low pressures actually rolling faster in a mountain bike than uh, sure. then you know it might it might seem logical that they would. And have you done any testing around, um, I guess, specific bike weight to know whether weight does actually really play a factor in the, say, the the lap times? Um, not uh, not formal testing where we've controlled every variable uh, that we can. We do often test, um, for example, 
when making parts decisions such as whether or not to run a dropper post, for example, where you're basically trading almost 500 grams of weight uh, for the added maneuverability, safety, speed, whatever you want to say, for a dropper post. Um, you know, there's a lot of reasons to run one, but on some courses, uh, if you can get away with not carrying an extra 500 grams or so for the for the dropper post weight, um, up and down and up and down and up and down, starting, stopping, accelerating, uh, all those efforts that you do on a mountain bike, you know, compared to a road bike where the speed's relatively constant, um, so you're not like overcoming inertia over and over again like you do on a mountain bike. Um, mm-hmm. You know, while we haven't formally tested it, it's kind of easy to imagine how, you know, repeatedly carrying that much extra weight up the hill or starting and stopping and starting and stopping with that much weight extra on the bike. Um, there's there's yep. obviously some some loss of, uh, you know, to the just the extra weight that you're carrying there in terms of your power or your overall energy reserves on a given race day. So counterintuitively, sometimes the heavier things are still faster uh overall or at least give the perception of speed and one thing i always kind of remind kate when she's doing testing at a world cup you know we'll show up on say wednesday maybe even thursday and um you know we have short track now so there's less time spent on the actual race course training so i always try to remind her when she's evaluating the setup of the bike not to think about what would be fast for the first lap or for one fast lap but what would be fast on lap six you know what would still be fast and um, when you're tired and coming cross-eyed into a technical section, how would you rather the bike be? Yeah, sure. And and I guess that that conversation um, expands onto dual suspension versus hardtail. Um, is that choice really just down to weight and whether um, whether the the hardtail will be suitable for the course that Kate's riding, or is it uh, is it much more about like, I guess how the climbs are? Yeah, it's well, I would say it's it's a lot about how the climbs are. And it's a lot about, it's another one where I like to imagine tactically how the race is likely to play out. Is it going to be on the climb where the race is decided, you know, where attacks will be launched and that kind of thing? And if so, and this is kind of my general rule for bike setup and bike choice, is to basically pick the bike that's going to maximize how you can take advantage of the points on the course where you feel you're going to do the damage you're going to do in the race where you're going to do your attacking or you're going to make your move, um, set the bike up to really be as favorable in those specific moments. All right, hold on here. Time to interject. Now, this is exactly what Nathan Berry was talking about, like sort of the critical moment of the race. Now, there's a trend here where weight becomes the obsession when things are won and lost on steep hills. And we saw it at the tour with Tim Ineos and those lightweights. Now, if the hill isn't the critical moment, then weight is rarely the focal point, right? So, okay, back to Brad. On a course where you'd choose a hardtail, it's not going to be a super technical course, and she often likes to run the hardtail with a dropper post as a very, she loves that setup um, and likes to race it whenever she can because she fancies herself, she's actually quite good as an all-round rider, she's very versatile, but she fancies herself a climber and because she's so small but so strong she can really do some damage on the climbs and so we kind of figure that there's a limit on how fast you can really go down obviously mm-hmm. there's, there's some variability there but there's a there's kind of a limit uh, at, a, at the high end of how fast you can really go safely um, but there's not really one to dictate or limit how fast you can climb so 
on a course that lends to it, we would definitely at least entertain the option. We always bring the hardtail just to test it and see. Uh, but there have been courses where, for example, there's a race in the United States, the season opener at Benelli Park in the Los Angeles area where we've run the hardtail every year for the last five years that we've raced there together and got there this year. And um, we went and pre-rode the course the night we got into town and had done half a lap and put that bike back in the van and got the full suspension out for the first time ever at that course. So um, just because of the rain, I mean, any number of things can kind of change a course. And that's another interesting thing. Even, of course, we've been to many years in a row. It's They change due to weather or a rerouting of the course or who knows. But um, it's always a conversation, yeah, like what, how, what has everybody else got is a question. You know, we kind of scope the other setups that other riders are riding. We don't always change our plan based on that, but we sort of like to think about, you know, what do we have versus what do they have and where maybe we can sort of exploit the equipment choices that other riders have made as well. So if you've seen Kate racing this season, you may have noticed that she doesn't actually run a bottle on her bike. Rather, every lap she comes through the feed station, she picks up a bottle, she drinks as much as she can, she chucks it, and then she's off again. It's something that's quite different to pretty much every other rider in the field, where a bottle and the bottle cage is found on their bike. But when you think about it, the weight of the bottle actually is quite a bit. Even a small bottle is probably half a kilo, plus you've got the weight of the cage. Which led me to ask Brad if she's that focused on weight to the point that she's forgoing carrying a bottle. What else is she worried about? So you're you're already racing with pretty top end components. I mean, arguably you can't you can't really um, upgrade what what you're racing on at the moment. Um, but what else can be done to reduce the weight of the bike? Uh, do you have any tips or tricks that you you like to do to Kate's bike that that I guess play it safe but still drop a few grams? Yeah, I I mean for sure. So we'll measure very conservatively the amount of sealant that we run in the tires, for example manufacturers of sealant offer their own recommendations and a lot of those are based on the bike industry in general a lot of the recommendations for product use is based on what the consumer would do so you might run a lot more sealant because you don't have to take your tire off every other day to top it off so we'll you know we'll play that game normally the recommendation is like 80 to 120 mils of sealant will run 50 to 60 you know bottle cage you saw we also I'll go through the bike front to back with I have every type of bolt imaginable. I run carbon bolts in places where it's just little clamps or um, like this handlebar controls. I have carbon fiber bolts that are pretty Gucci that are made by Schmolke, which is a German company that makes some pretty amazing lightweight carbon stuff. Um, you can't run those bolts like on load bearing places like a seat post clamp, for example, but you can use them to just you know pinch a clamp to a, a tube. So um, little little places where I can maybe save a gram or two on a bolt over times 20 over the course of the whole bike. That's not much weight saved, but it's a little bit. And she knows that when she sees them that uh, her bike's been gone through. And sometimes that has a psychological effect that is probably worth a lot more than the weight that we saved in reality. But, um, you know, I'll do that. I'll cut her seat post down, measure 90 mils below the clamp line and cut it and we'll save you know, 15 or 20 grams out of the seat post from its stock length. And so, yeah, just little things like that. But, um, again, I'm a little conservative in places just because I don't want to be causing potential problems either, you know, so we have to be conscious of 
getting it all the way from the start line to the finish line with as few instances of visiting me in the tech zone as we can. So as much as I love yeah, seeing her sure. during a race, I prefer seeing her after the race on the podium, you know? So I guess given that, would you would you say that weight matters more off-road than it does on-road? I think it does, yeah. So that's that's um, kind of my my thesis, I guess, in this conversation really is that, you know, on a road bike, while it's more fashionable to kind of go nuts on a lightweight bike setup, I think that, you know, it's it's pretty obvious if you've done any cycling yourself that on a road bike you're riding at a sustained speed. More of the ride is done at a kind of consistent effort where you're not on the brakes and reaccelerating. And so I think you can, way that it would be technical, you know, in a way that like a mountain bike ride is where you're on the brakes and on the gas, standing out of the saddle, hopping up over something. Those are all places where when the bike's lightweight, especially if the wheels are lightweight, you really stand to actually save real energy. Um, once the wheels are turning on a road bike, you're kind of just keeping them turning. And so you're not kind of overcoming inertia, reaccelerating as you do for, you know, basically the whole time you're riding a mountain bike or a cyclocross bike. And I guess just a uh, final question is, uh, if you're the average rider, um, looking to, you know, get into a bit of cross country racing or gravel racing, um, where would you recommend that they don't save weight off their bike? Like where have you seen people, you know, go, go crazy and, and end up, you know, doing silly things? <laughs> uh, two places. One, don't drill holes in stuff. That's not something I see done as often anymore. Uh, but man, back in the nineties, that was like the coolest thing to do is just drill the shit out of your bike. You know, I, people say, what's the best place to save weight? Wheels and tires. What's the worst place to save weight? Also wheels and tires. It's, it's a fine line. And it, when you buy an off the shelf bike, oftentimes the tires, it's like a, with a car. I mean, the tires are fine usually, but they're not, um, there's always something, some performance to be gained by upgrading those items typically for an average rider. And so I think there's, um, a lot of value in a really nice set of tires, for example, um, and wheels as well. But if you're just trying to enjoy cycling and have a nice time, have a bike that feels good to ride, but doesn't, you know, cause you to stand on the side of the road cursing at some point when it failed, you know, at the farthest point out on your ride from your house and you still have to figure out how to get home and you've cut the sidewall of your tubular and you can't get it off and you're standing there. This is a personal story, I'm telling you. Um, yeah, is it is it worth riding tubulars uh, all the time for just for fun? Like, maybe not. Yeah. But, you know... I'm here telling you that, but I still do it. So for the average rider, I would say that's maybe going a little bit too far. It feels great until until you're stuck on the side of the road. So it's super fun to have a bike that weighs, you know, 12 pounds and it feels incredible. But there's a there's a certain cutoff point where it's not fun anymore. <laughs> and I think when, you, when you've been like three hours into a ride and you're bonking and trying to rip a tubular off your rim to get home uh with the one you have under your saddle and it's just a nightmare like that's when it's not so good anymore so okay so i guess the key takeaway here is that yes weight does matter and it always will but it's also a much smaller part of the speed equation than many of us would like to believe so in the cases of phil guyman and kate courtney saving weight's arguably most important as a placebo effect actually uh, for going fast and if cutting grams achieves that then for them at least, it's probably worth the effort after all. If you're looking to save weight, it's important to focus on the weight as a system. 
yes, losing it off yourself is going to be the cheapest and the most beneficial for you. But we all know that already. While losing it off the bike, you need to really focus on balancing it with aerodynamics, durability, reliability, and the handling of the bike. One thing that both Nathan and Phil mentioned is that it's really pretty silly to obsess over a single 50 or even 100 gram difference when you're talking about a total bike weight of you know, seven kilograms or more, or a total system weight of maybe 80 kilos or more when you're factoring in the rider. Now, instead, rideable system weight is kind of what we should all be talking about. Like if a lightweight frame requires a heavy integrated handlebar, that brings the whole system weight up and kind of defeats the purpose of making the frame lighter to begin with. So in light of that, keep in mind that if you really want to save weight, everything matters when it comes to dropping grams. So it's only by cutting weight from everything where the numbers actually start to add up. But in other words, if you're going to cut weight, make sure you're cutting a whole lot of it in total. Because if you're spending money to save like just like 100 grams here and there, basically, don't bother. <laughs>